Our topic is love. And the question is, why don't we feel more of it? Why do there have to be songs like the Chris Christopherson song, which if we look at as purely romantic love, why don't we have someone to see us through the night? Why do the people that we choose to walk with make life exhausting? <laughs> Why don't they make it easier on us? The problem with the word love is that it is so closely associated with behavior that I use it very seldom in speaking because people automatically assume certain things about love, certain so-called sweetness of the expression, softness of the tone of voice, always saying yes to someone rather than saying no. People assume the proximity of a body. We can only love if there's a body near us. And yet, although it is one of the most confusing of words, it is also one of the most powerful and enlightening and fulfilling and deepening of words. The beautiful words that St. John said about God, about God being love. almost bring tears to your eyes. The the beautiful words that St. Paul said about love, the qualities of love, can almost make you weep. The only real definition of God that we have, that everyone can agree on, is that God is love. So what does that mean? Because we don't feel love. We don't have love. And we are lonely in the night. And as we grow older, we become more and more lonely. Now in this country, we steel ourselves against that. We Our, our entire purpose is to bolster our personality to erect our defenses, to make ourselves strong. Not only the body strong against old age, but the skin strong and tough because we know what's going to happen. We will not reach out to other people as quickly. This was the heart wrenching part of the whole story. So I'll I'll skip all that. We'll just. (laughs) 
you, you get my drift on that. <laughs> Let's go to some of the reasons. I think that the basic reason why we don't feel more love, why love seems such an impossibility to us, is that simply we don't value love. We value everything but love. We value uh, appearances when we're out in public with our children. We value how they their behavior strikes other people, how we think it might strike other people. We value that more than we value harmony. And since love has so many facets, it's the harmonious facet that I would like to concentrate on this morning. Harmony is one of those words that almost has lost all meaning. But we still have some sense of it. Uh, for example, when we uh, have our first date or when we uh, meet a stranger, we will practice harmony. We will get along with this person we've just met at the party or this person we're going out with for the first time. Uh, let's say that we... Uh, Let's say we're, sit we're standing at the party. We've just met this person and uh, we've talked to them for a few minutes. And of course, we've agreed with everything they've had to say, nodded vigorously. And now they say, uh, uh, would you like to sit down? Now, what we hear is uh, they want to sit down. So therefore, I will say yes. Uh, not, of course, the person doesn't know that you just got off of your balloon and uh, your, your tire in the, in the uh, car and uh, your hemorrhoids are killing you, do you see? And you, would, you didn't bring your tire in, you see. But nevertheless, you, oh, sure, yes, I'd like to sit down. And you just sit down immediately. And yet, if our spouse were to ask us to sit down, you know, insensitive, bloodless beat. What are you? Okay. We, value, we value not losing ground at home with our partner. This is the thing we value. Not harmony, not love. And so something comes up, some issue comes up, and we must take a stand on it, even though we may not even particularly feel that way. But we cannot give in one more time. We have this list of all the times we've given in to our partner. And so holding ground has more value to us than in simple harmony, simple love. We value being entertained more than we value love. People get very angry if the movie didn't entertain them. And they can talk for an hour or two about this after they leave the movie. The movie was supposed to entertain them and it didn't. The party was supposed to entertain them and it didn't. Gail and I went to a party and it was a, it was a very nice party. And the, uh, the woman that was putting the party on went into the kitchen to fix the uh, dessert and she was in there for a very very long time and there was mutterings at the table and so forth but 
what kind of preparation is this? You know, this is not, we have a right to be served on time. <laughs> and so one of the uh, people went in to check, and she was trying to whip half and half. So it was a... <laughs> It was an innocent little mistake. She was, she was trying very hard to do this. We value our personal space more than we value love and harmony. We value even that at a party. It's very difficult to know what our personal airspace is. This is something that's now being talked about. How do you define your personal airspace, does it extend, where does it extend to the other person? And why is it that we step back when they get too close, so they've invaded our personal airspace? And if someone lights a cigarette, they have invaded our personal airspace. If they invite it, if they light it in the next house, or if they light it in the next room, it's not quite so clear that they've invaded our personal airspace. But we can get very angry about this. And flying on planes as much as I do, I see people get very angry about not being able to sit in the non-smoking section. And there are just wonderful uh, little melodramas played out uh, as people light up and someone realizes that they're in the wrong section and there's no place in the, the flight attendant has to go to the front of the plane and beg someone to go back into the smoking section because this person claims to have an allergy. Of course, we all know they don't have an allergy. <laughs> we value financial advantage when we shop. And so we go to uh, Connie's and they're supposed to have a special on eggplants. Connie's, of course, never has specials. But this day, they have a special on eggplant. For some reason, if you're a vegetarian, you can eat an eggplant. I'm not quite sure why, but it's, that's permissible. So you, we buy the eggplant, and then we go to uh, Skaggs Alpha Beta. I just love Skaggs Alpha Beta. <laughs> it has everything the ego could possibly want. <laughs> And we see that they have eggplant for less than Connie's had it. Now, we will not enjoy the eggplant we bought when we get home because we remember that we paid more than we had to pay for it. We value financial advantage more than we value love and harmony and peace. And if we see a deal on... Um, a sand-cast, pinyon-scented candle shaped like camel rock. <laughs> it's only three cents. We'll buy it, even though we can't stand camel rock. And, but but it, you can't pass a deal like that up. And so we'll buy it anyway, and it'll just sit someplace. We don't know quite where to put it. We're too embarrassed for people to see it because it's shaped like camel rock. We value saving time more than we value love and harmony. And someone has 13 items at the eight-item checkout. And we count, of course, how many items everyone has as they're checking out. Why do we do this? Will it allow us to love the person in front of us 
to know how many items they're bringing to the eight-item checkout. No, we don't value love. We value saving time. And then there's the whole question of, what does a six-pack count? Is that one item or is it six? <laughs> and we have very deep philosophical discussions with ourselves over this as we're standing there. Why? Because we don't value love and peace and harmony. The reason we don't feel more love is we don't value it. We don't honor it. We honor saving time, saving money, having our space, having our right to grow, having our right to the perfect orgasm, having our right to the model child. We value everything but simple love and harmony. And what we value is what we have, and what we have is one thing after the other, all day long, because every situation calls forth a different value. And never is it harmony, and never is it love, and never is it acceptance, and never is it sweetness, and never is it blessing, the little cart with the 13 items. Never is that. In the 60s and 70s, we honored impatience and irritation and injustice and the rights that we've been talking about. And we're still doing that. We had a right to our anger. And the therapies, all the therapists and the books rallied around us and told us we had a right to our anger. Our anger was justified. And if it wasn't justified, at least it was ours. We should claim it. It was deep in our heart. We had a right to feel injustice at what the banks were doing and the government was doing and on and on and on and on all over the world. We had a right to be impatient. These were our deep core. So silly. Of course they weren't our core. And now there's another peculiar thing that's surfacing that's being honored. It is non-attachment. So in the spiritual movement, as I've gone around the country, I've seen a growing emphasis on what people are calling not being attached. And this is something that's being picked up from the Eastern systems, some degree from te uh, teachings like the Course of Miracles and so forth, a total misinterpretation, another way of simply being selfish and to be selfish is to be alone. The reason that we feel alone is that we value our selfishness. And we do not wish to give it up. And so we're not supposed to be attached to anything. Somehow this is going to get us there sooner. We will be enlightened. We won't have to come back and do this all over again if we can cut out all the attachments. Well, of course that's true. But what the ego interprets as the necessity is not true. Because remember, the ego will always tell you that what you need to do is change your behavior and that this will take you a step for forward. And never is a change in behavior called for. It may come about, but it's not called for. Because a change of behavior in and of itself has no content. And so if we love our house, we're supposed to sell it. We've got attached to it. 
If we, if we like driving a car, we're not supposed to drive a car anymore. If we like a particular shirt or something, we're not supposed to wear it. This is somehow supposed to lead to enlightenment. If we find that we can walk in peace with someone and we find ourselves very comfortable with this individual, we must walk away from the relationship, the argument goes. We become attached to this person. And I've heard even A Course in Miracles quoted as justification for this. This is a special relationship. I must be wary. All we need is to not be on guard. All we need is to be totally careless and carefree and happy. Fortunately, uh, this has not been applied to children doesn't make any sense why it hasn't been. Why? If you're attached to your child, shouldn't you give it away? No. Thank goodness, though, it hasn't quite reached that far. It's okay to love anything. It's okay to be comfortable in your house and to like your house. It's not unspiritual. It's okay to like your car. It's okay to take care of your car. It's okay to like a particular dress or pair of slacks or whatever you've bought. It's all right to do that. It's okay to like your yard and take care of it. It's all right to like your bank account and take care of it. <laughs> it's okay to like the bank statement that the bank sends you. Because you've taken care of your bank statement, just like you've taken care of your flower garden or watered your fruit trees. It is okay even to love a routine. And this is something that's generally misunderstood because we do not plan in the anxious sense if we're on a spiritual path. But this does not mean we do not have a routine. And it does not mean that a routine cannot be helpful. As a matter of fact, if we look around and see the people who are obviously further along than we are, I've only mentioned a couple here. There, there are many, but I've mentioned two obvious ones. Swami Muktananda, who uh, died recently, and Mother Teresa. These people had routines. Because they found that their lives would not interfere. I'm not saying that they didn't break with the routine every once in a while. I didn't, I'm not saying that, they, that people didn't know exactly where they would be from time to time, but if you look at their day, if you just look at what they did in the day, you'd find these people often praying at the same time during the day, eating the same kind of food. There's a certain consistency in the, in the number of public appearances that they would accept. This is not rigidity. As a matter of fact, a routine can be extremely helpful to see what it is we like to do now. Of course, we're open. Of course, we don't start defending this and get irritated if something comes up and, and messes with our routine a little bit. But we don't have to be afraid of this world. And if we wish to bring order to our lives in that way, that can be very helpful. As a matter of fact, 
I would say it's an essential step that must be a simplicity to our activities, just as there's a simplicity to the food we eat and the clothes we wear. There are many things that pass for love that we also value. They are a not valuing of love, but they're a little more subtle. I put in one of my books a story about an alcoholic who was very sick, was in her apartment, was throwing up, was extremely sick. People knew about this, her friends knew about it, and did not go over to help her because they assumed that her symptoms were caused by her alcoholism instead of by food poisoning. We cannot decide beforehand what another person needs. And this is a subtle way that we do not value love. We construct these little boxes. We stencil these little labels on everyone's forehead. We decide in advance what needs to be talked about with a given individual. We even discuss this with our friends. Endlessly, we discuss other people's personalities. What's wrong with so-and-so? It does not help us to love people to analyze our relationship with them. It does not help to love people to ask if we should have the relationship. Should we be in this relationship? It can help to see that a particular relationship is not giving you peace and to step back from it a little bit and to see if that helps. But that's a very quick thing. I don't mean it's done abruptly, but this is something that does not take endless analysis and, and discussions with other people as to what's wrong with so-and-so and why they behave this way. And what should we do about it? Although that part is usually never discussed. What should we do about it? It never results in any activity. It, dis, it, it, it results in a, in a distress that the ego loves. We must understand that there's a part of our mind that dotes on distress, that cherishes distress and will seek it in any form, any disturbance, because it gives us a sense of isolation, a sense of separateness. And to the ego, this is our identity. The fact is, you are becoming less and less you and more and more Christ. Now, to the ego, that sounds like annihilation. Some sort of personal assassination, to say words like that. You're becoming less and less you and more and more Christ. Christ being one of the many words that's given the Holy Spirit of truth, the light of God. The spirit of truth, the coming of truth into consciousness. The living of life that comes into life itself. God's Holy Spirit has come over and over and over. And first a few, at times maybe only one or two on the face of the whole earth, but there's been an explosion now, a great dispersal of the Christ Spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
or any other term you wish to use for it. Now there are many, many people who are saying, I want to represent the spirit of love. I want to be possessed by the spirit of love. This is all I want. This is all I long for. There are, of course, many people who have heard this call deep in their heart, and we can see these false starts all the time. People hearing the call. They're taken over. They're swept by it. I have a relative in, in, uh, in the penitentiary who, who, who was... Uh, I have many relatives who have gone to the penitentiary. <laughs> I could fill up the whole evening with relatives who have gone to the penitentiary. But uh, this is one in particular I'm thinking of. And I can remember... When this swept over this dear person, and for a few weeks, a month or two, there were these wonderful letters, and then it was out. The candle was extinguished. Many, many people hear the call, but few choose to respond to it. But that does not stop the call. It keeps coming in the heart, deeply. It brings tears to our eyes. Suddenly we see it. We say, why? Why am I wasting all this time? I know this is true. I know deep in my heart this is true. Why am I wasting all this time? And for a few wonderful, softly illuminated, peaceful days, we follow the call. Of course the ego enters in and suggests things that make it difficult. Like I'm supposed to behave. I'm supposed to give everything up. I'm supposed to act peculiar. And we turn away. Oftentimes we turn back with a renewed commitment to the world. Dive deep into it. Develop a hostility for anyone who even appears to be walking toward the light of truth and love and peace. We call them weak We call them dumb and silly, soft-minded. And it's sad. But the call comes again and it comes again. And little by little, the love grows in our heart. And one day, we set foot on a spiritual path. And from that point on, we will never again walk away from it. I believe that one of my functions is to work with people like me who are very recently on the spiritual path to help them not fall off and to warn them against the things that what I've called the higher ego does to make people fall off the spiritual path. And I do not exaggerate when I tell you that all you need to do is be off guard, is to be careless of everything, is to relax and be happy. There are other ways of getting there, but they are so long and so tedious, and generally you will turn away from them. Just don't worry. Just be happy. 
Just realize that you will be as smart tomorrow as you are today, and there's no reason for you to even think about what's coming up. You'll know what to do. If there's some specific detail that needs to be taken care of now for tomorrow, of course you take care of it. We aren't silly about this. This is not a fetish. But the, the, the ego dwells always on the future and on the past. Especially on the highs, this brings us back. The highs that are to come. The excitement that is to come. And on the excitement that was. And as the song that John Hunter sang indicated, we have no present, we have no now. And how can we feel love if we aren't present? How can anybody get to us? How can we see how much our friends love us? Look at your friends. Look how they have stuck by you. I'm not saying that every one of them is stuck by but look how patient these people are. Do you realize what a mess you are? <laughs> and these people have stuck by you. I'm just flabbergasted when I look at my friends and see all the crazy things that I've done and they're still there. This is a gift that can be felt. It's, it has real substance. It, it feeds and nourishes and fills us up if we can just open up enough to receive a little love from our new puppy or the, or the, the magpie that's just come into our yard or this little shoot of green that's come up in the sidewalk. Talk about a miracle. I don't know. How does that happen? <laughs> you have come to make life easier on your friends. That is your function. And that is my function. That is our only function. Is to be a servant. In the good old fashioned sense of being a servant. We serve our brother and our sister's happiness and peace. We look into their heart and we see what they need, not what their ego is asking for, but what they need. And we hand them the gift. We give them the cup of cold water that they're asking for. You have come to make life easier on your children and on your parents and on your relatives, and on your in-laws. You have come into the store to make life easier on the clerk. That's your only purpose in being in the store. You have come to make life easier on the person who has 13 items in the 8-item checkout. That's your only function. That can only be done now. You cannot concentrate on being a servant. This doesn't mean you have to stoop over and drool. <laughs> How do we have light if we don't light candles? And everyone around you is a candle. And you can light candles. You can light little sparks of light in people's eyes. Do not try to figure out how to do this. 
and do not preoccupy yourself with someone that, with whom you cannot do it. And there are plenty of people you cannot do it with, and just don't worry about that. Look at all the people you can light and lighten their load. Love is light. When we light candles around us, we have more love. When we make life easier on the people around us and devote ourselves to that and see that our interests are not separate than their interests. This is what the ego believes. Everybody's interests are in conflict. Everyone's interests are the same. That again, again doesn't mean you always say yes to someone's ego, but their interests are the same. And we see what their interests and we say, their interests are the same. Let me serve their interests. Not their ego requests, their interests. And we can use anything to do that. You can use Dale Carnegie if you want to. There's a thousand ways to make people feel good. It's okay to make people feel good. Old Dale Carnegie went around and made a list of everything that made people feel good. Now, of course, people took that and... and uh, put it into some sort of phony system. And so you have people who put your name in every sentence they utter. And of course, this begins to drive you <laughs> up the wall. He just discovered people like their names. You mention their name, they like it. That kind of thing. See. But don't do that, please. I'm just mentioning that. I, that's a bad suggestion, actually. <laughs> the way we react to our friends is through habit. And there is a woman in this very audience who supplies me with much material. And... Uh, Her mother used to say to her when she was depressed, oh my Lord, I don't remember what she said. What did your mother say to you when you're depressed? <laughs> change, the, change the recipe. Oh, if you, all right. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. All right. Now, <laughs> this worked with her. You see, this worked. She was depressed. Her mother would come in and say, if life gives you lemons because something terrible just happened. And uh, she said, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Now, that worked with her. Now, the temptation, if she weren't so wise, but with other people, the temptation would be to then pick this up as some sort of magical key. And so now, uh, 20 years later, we are married to someone and uh, we say to our depressed spouse, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> And we, <laughs> I know a, a man, uh, as a friend of mine, used to call this man, was, uh, this woman used to call him, because uh, he was an old friend, and suddenly he had some sort of change in his life or in his mentality, and every time she would bring him any bad thing that was going on in her life, he would say, we'll call her Suzanne. Yes, Suzanne, but there are people out there with catheters. 
There are people walking the streets with catheters. This didn't help. Didn't help her at all. Now, we all do that, you see. If you will look, because what we've been talking about the last two weeks is becoming very familiar with the contents of our mind. And so if you've been doing what I've suggested, of course you have, uh, you've been watching more closely than ever before your thoughts. And you've begun to see that, that your ego operates only in a certain way. Yes, you do have idols, but they are certain idols. And you have been surprised at how important certain things were to your ego. You didn't realize you spent that much time thinking about these things. And you've made this sort of list, this sort of, you've modeled this sort of picture of yourself as you've watched your thoughts but did not try to change them, just looked at them. Now, one of the things that you will discover, if you haven't already, is that when people ask for help, and almost everyone's asking for help almost all the time in some way, that you will pull out a certain reaction to this instead of pausing and being present and forgetting what you know and forgetting what you think you know about this person, you will automatically come up with the catheter thing or the lemonade thing or something else. Always leave them alone. If someone is depressed, never bother them. That may work with some. So what we need to do is look at our friends as if they were some little uh, wild animal that's come into our yard. I think I've used this analogy before here. A little animal suddenly adopts us. And we don't know anything about it. And we go out into the yard and it's hanging around and we've asked the neighbors and no one seems to know much about it. It seems to be a cute little animal or maybe an ugly little animal <laughs> since it's an analogy for friends. Um, <laughs> and so we, we notice certain things. We notice, oh, uh, it, I, I seem to do things that scare this little animal. I wonder what it is. Is it that I wear, I'm wearing a hat? Maybe if I didn't wear the hat, or uh, maybe it's because I moved too quickly. Uh, and we, so we begin, we don't know anything about the situation. Now, all of you have had this experience in dealing with a child, perhaps, dealing with a handicapped child, perhaps, uh, dealing with a crazy person, dealing with an, an animal that you didn't know. You, you automatically didn't know anything and thereby opened up a tremendous store of knowledge that's already in, in your heart. And that came from the watching and the calmness. And so you, first of all, you try moving slowly, but that it still seems to get scared. So now you change what this thing that seems to flap in the wind, and you take that off, and, ah, oh, that seems to help. And you try one food, and you try another food, and it doesn't seem to like this, and you try something else, and you try, and so pretty soon you get a, a diet that the little animal can... Now you want to find it a home. So what do you do? What is it like? Does it like a nest? Does it like an enclosure? This is the way we must look at our friends. Knowing nothing. Because people go along for an amazing number of years being unhelpful to their friends because they always try the same overt solution to the friend's problem. And there are a thousand solutions. And so we know nothing. 
We do not categorize. And in stillness, we see how to light the candle. This particular candle, which incidentally, even though it has the same name and lives in the same location, is not the same as the last you saw. This person has changed. And if you want a fun game to play sometimes, see everyone that you think you know well as a stranger, pretend as if this person has been suddenly possessed, and tick off in your mind all the things that are different about them today. Perhaps you would like to list how they are before you meet them. Here you are, you're going to meet this person, you're driving there, tick off in your mind how they will be, what their attitude will be, what reactions they will have to certain subjects that will be brought up, what they may order uh, at the restaurant if you're meeting them in a restaurant. And then see how it just isn't that way. They are different. That's why they can love you. They're not in the past. They're changing just like you and me, even though they don't want to, just like you and me. <laughs> One of the mistakes that people make in this kind of discussion is that they then begin to look to see if it's worked. We've talked about some things, made a few suggestions. Perhaps you will try a few of these things You'll try looking at this friend like a little animal or you'll and it doesn't work. Now, I'll tell you why it doesn't work. It's because you're looking to see if it works. The minute that you look to see if it works, you are looking to see if you are loved. And the second you do that, you cannot be loved and you cannot experience love and you cannot receive love. What you give away is what you have. And you have it as you give it. And since the world seems to operate in just the opposite manner, taking and keeping and protecting what we've got, this can be a very difficult lesson to learn. Especially because so much lip service has been given to it. As you give love, as you give peace, as you give comfort, At that instant, you'll receive it. The moment you stop to see what you are getting in return, and is the scale balanced, and is there reciprocity, and are your rights being upheld, and is the relationship equal or unequal, and is your friend doing what the expert on Phil Donahue said all friends should do? The minute you do that, can't receive any love, you can't feel any love because you have stopped the only way that light can come to you. And that's by giving it away, having it reflected back. Another assumption that's often made in a discussion like this is that somehow we are supposed to exert an effort to love an individual when we are with them. Now, I would like to ask you to please listen carefully to what I'm going to say next because this is such a 
widespread mistake that people make. They try to love another person when they are with them physically. And in almost all cases, this will not be possible. Now that's shocking, isn't it? Because we think that we can only love someone if we're with them physically. And of course there can be romantic love and so forth. And of course there may be a few people that you can love when you're with them physically. But in general, you will not love someone by trying to love them when you are with them. So never try to love someone when you're in their physical presence. It will block love. It is a denial made in the present. You're saying, I do not love them, and I'm going to try to love them. Now you will scan their body, which is merely a picture of their ego, for things that are lovable. And of course you won't find a single thing, <laughs> except in very rare cases. Concentrate instead on being not on guard when you're with them, at being at ease, at being comfortable. Concentrate instead on simply being peaceful when you're around another person. Just saying to my, is there some way I can relax in this situation? Is there some way I can make myself comfortable and then go about doing it? If you see that you're not comfortable in your chair, then you just sort of move around a little bit. If you see you're not comfortable the way you're standing, if you see anything, if you see you're not comfortable with the conversation, if you see that you're not comfortable because uh, uh, you're facing the sun and uh, there's been a proliferation of liver spots and someone has told you never face the sun and don't sit there and say, well, uh, gosh, I should be beyond that. You're not beyond it because you just thought of it. And so you very gradually shift around and you get the sun in their eyes. You <laughs> Make yourself comfortable. Make yourself at ease. Now, the surprising thing that happens is that peace is the bed from which love can grow. So almost by magic, if you succeed in making yourself comfortable around another person, you will begin to love them. But don't pay attention to that. <laughs> it'll just seem to evaporate like that if you start getting all excited about that and start saying thank you've learned something magnificent and so you don't have the dispensable church to stand up and talk about these things so uh don't rehearse this just make yourself comfortable and i'll promise you you'll suddenly there'll be a liking that'll sort of spring little flowers of liking and you'll start liking everything because you're comfortable it's a very interesting thing all that's in this world is love. There is no world. It's an illusion. All that's there is love. You loving God, God loving you. That's all there is. When we look at someone else, all we're really seeing is pure love. And the way to feel it is to relax. Because there's nothing to do about a fact. A fact is a fact. There's a great deal to do about this world and trying to manipulate it and trying to get things that make us happy. We've got to work very hard at that. But you have to do just the opposite to experience reality and facts. You have to not do anything, not try. You sink back. 
And then everything starts turning into a flower garden around you. Very subtly. This isn't some, you know, bolt of lightning from the sky or anything. I'd like to add one thing to the, the little assignment. I'm sure none of you are doing, but I like to think that you are. <laughs> I wouldn't do the assignment. I hate assignments. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, here it goes. We've talked about two things. We've talked about watching very carefully what you do as you go through the day and how you feel as you do it. So that was the first thing. We've talked about that for many, many, many Sundays. Not doing anything about it, but just seeing how you feel when you do a particular thing. This will cause a very subtle but profound change in the circumstances and routines, foods, clothing, sleep patterns, everything. Very subtle, very gradual in your life. We'll bring that about. Don't try to push it. Don't try to take the thing. Don't try to jump the gun and, and try to figure out in advance where, what's going to happen or what's going to drop away. You will probably be wrong and you're just going to get yourself in some sort of useless battle. Just see what makes you happy and what makes you unhappy, what makes you scared. See if you like being scared. Do not underestimate the ego's desire for excitement or anxiety or tension it thrives on it. It's the very blood of the ego. And what we're actually learning is that we like peace. This is unbelievable. We'd actually like peace and comfort. And like now. And like not building for the future. And not like trying to be somebody. And the second thing we've talked about is becoming more and more familiar with the contents of our mind. Looking at the thoughts you think. Every thought you think is ego. There are words of truth. And you can think words of truth. And this, of course, will direct your heart. But this sort of spontaneous spilling over of the mind that goes on 99% of the time is ego. It is your ego mind. It is the mind of your imaginary identity. Of your self-image. It is the way you think your self-image ought to think. And so it seems to think that way. And you will lose your mind as you get closer and closer to God. You will be headless and bodiless and rightless and opinionless. And so to do that, if you want to do it the quick and easy way, don't undertake some sort of reformation and reclamation project on yourself. If you want to do it the quick and easy way, look at your thoughts and see how your ego is constituted. What is it that you think about all the time, because you're thinking about things all the time. There's still a little of this, notice, and there's still a little of that, but there's a whole lot of this. And you just see it, and you see how it operates, and you see the situations that stir your ego up.
Now, the thing I'd like to add is that as you watch the contents of your mind and you just look at your thoughts without trying to change them, that you do this much about your behavior. You try this much. Try not defending your personality. Try not taking up for yourself. Try not describing yourself to other people or bragging about yourself. Try not rallying to the side of whatever you've just been criticized about. And notice you're criticized a great deal in your mind. So we put ourselves in imaginary situations in which we are criticized. Please notice that this goes on in your mind. You will imagine what someone would criticize you about, and suddenly that's the whole fantasy that's going on. Or you go back to past criticisms. In the fantasy, as well as in your life, don't rally to your defense, because that's not you that you're coming to the defense of. That's this thing this time around. That's all it is. Oh, we, we can take this thing so seriously, this thing we are this time around. And it's, it's just a thing like anybody else's thing. <laughs> we think our body is all fire and parting, you know, and how we look. And what we own and, and uh, how, how we're positioned in this life. And do we get respect and all that? Just look around. You're seeing your past all around you. You're seeing the little soap operas all around you that you've gone through. They're just soap operas you haven't forgiven yourself for. These other soap operas that you see people all caught up in. They're just your past soap operas, ones you haven't forgiven yet. It's not important what you are. It's a joy to be Christ. It's a joy to be the light of God. It's a joy to be pure light. It's a joy to have no mind, no personality. This is not annihilation. Partake of a little at a time and you will see you have nothing to fear. Nothing will be lost. Nothing will be taken away from you except your misery and your isolation. Let's end with the meditation. Uh, I'd like to ask you to close your eyes. And I want just for you to look at your personality as best you see it right now, your body being the symbol of your personality. And just look at your body, which is your personality. And just see this thing that you've constructed around the light of God. This body cast. This full body mask. It's made of some brittle material like plaster of Paris. And it surrounds you there in the chair. It's quite narrow. Its reach is very, very small. Its breath is very short. This cage... This box, this full body cast. Now just see it. And now take a big wooden hammer 
in your imagination and just hit yourself over the head and let the thing break. Or if you want to break it some other way, you can. You're just going to let the thing break. It's just going to shatter. And it's just going to fall down at your feet. This cast. This mask. And only light and only joy and only happiness is left. And you feel so free. And nothing matters. Because it's all done. And God is. And you're already home. 